My headset's broken, so I'm carrying this today. Um, I, you know, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks a lot about prophets who had a burden in delivering a message. And, and I've just felt that. Felt it last night. I really feel it again today because I know that what I've got for you today is just really heavy. And I don't mean that in a negative kind of way because this is totally exciting what I'm going to be talking, talking to you about today. But it's just, I can't wait to get it out because this is going to be a transformative message. There are times... When I know that, in fact, my staff and I joke about this because I have an expression that they tease me about. I'll, I'll say I'm sitting on dynamite. And what I mean when I say I'm sitting on dynamite is this. I know that even if I fail in my delivery and if I stumble all over my words like I normally do, it's still not going to matter because what i got for you today is so big, so huge, so awesome, so transformative that even if I fail in delivering it, you're going to get the message. And we're not going to be the same people. In fact, last night we felt that we weren't, we weren't the same people when we left that we were when we came in, and we're not going to be today because we're closing out the series Capitalize. And the whole theme of Capitalize, as I've been sharing with you, is that you have the assets that you need to start life over again, ramp it up to a whole new level. And we've already talked about how that, you know, even if you got stripped down to bare metal and you had absolutely nothing left, you would still have God and God would be enough. We, we covered that the first week. And then we talked about how that God places people strategically in your life. Not that they're, not, we don't use people, but we leverage those relationships that God has placed strategically in our lives as signposts to help us know which way to go. Then we got to faith, which we said was the most important asset, that you have enough faith. Even if you're like me and you don't feel like you have strong faith, you have enough. Leverage that faith, and you can begin again. Last week, we talked about using money wisely, but this weekend, we get to one that I think is really sensitive. And, it, it, and I hear this a lot because I talk to a lot of people. You know, New Spring has is, is grown quickly, and we're a large community, and then beyond that, I speak in other places and other churches, and I meet people all the time. And there's one thing that I often hear is people will t- tell me, maybe not in these terms, but they'll basically say, Mark, I've already used up the best part of my life. My life's pretty much over, and I'm just marking time till it's over. And they don't say it to me in those words, but that's okay. I get it. I get the message. Well, one thing, I talk to people who are in middle age, and they've had hopes and dreams and plans, and a lot of those things just didn't materialize, and a lot of their ideas about how life was going to work just fell through. And now here they are, 45, 50, 60, 65 years old, and they're saying, Mark, I just didn't work for me. You know, I still have my job, still have my career. I'm making money. I'm paying the bills, trying to stretch for retirement. But really, when it comes to my life being meaningful, it's over. That, I left too many opportunities on the table, squandered too many resources, left things lying there, and, and now it's, it's, it's going to be it's going to be finished for me. I mean, really, I'm still going, but I'm just marking time. You might think that, that it's just something that middle-aged people feel, but I've got to tell you, New Spring is, a, is a, we're very much a pretty, we're young church. And one of the things that shocks me from time to time is I'll talk to people 25 years old and, and people with, with you know, probably 
50, 60 years ahead of them, at least, that they're going to live. And yet when I listen to people 25 years old, it's like sometimes I feel like I'm talking to an old person because they're sharing with me, Mark, it just isn't working for me. Life isn't working for me. And I don't think I can, I don't think I can really get there. I left a scholarship lying on the table or I, I left a dream on the table or I got hooked up with the wrong person and I had a baby and, 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 and then, you know, my, that relationship fell apart and, and this didn't go well and I'm 25 years old, but really for all practical intents and purposes, my life is over. What I'd like to do for all of you here today, no matter what age you are, if that's in your mind at all, I'd like to just grab you by the shoulders, figuratively speaking, and shake you real good because your life is not over. As I said in the first week, if you're not dead, you're not done. But that's not a platitude. That's not just blowing sunshine at you. I'm telling you, that is the word of God. If you're not dead, you're not done. And I want you to know that no matter what age you are or how old you are, you still have enough time to make a new start. My talk this morning is called Still Time. There's still time for you to do something transformative. Let me throw one more thing out before I get started in today's talk. I don't believe you've lived until you've discovered your God job. I really believe that with all my heart. I mean, all of us have careers, and and God gave us work, and work is important, and God gifts us all to make a living, but your life is not about making a living. Ultimately, your life is about functioning in these years that you have here in such a way that you impact eternity. Get real with me for a moment. At most, you're not going to live probably to be 100. Most of us won't live that long, but a few of us might. We're going to live in eternity forever. So in other words, think, after you've been in heaven for 10,000 years, you haven't even gotten started yet. Okay? Think about that. When you've been in heaven a million years, you won't even be started yet. Now, consider how this life relates in juxtaposition to eternity. So think, why does God have us here for 100 years when we're going to go to the big dance after that? The answer is simply this. What we do in this life impacts eternity. And until you've discovered what God wants you to do in this world that impacts eternity, you haven't lived yet. So what I want to challenge you to do in these next 20 minutes is I want you to think about what God might be calling you to do and and think about that in the context. There is still time, whether you're 80 years old or 18, there's still time for you to make a new start if you get on it now. I'm going to take you back to the story of perhaps the greatest leader of all time. In fact, even people that don't even you know, believe in God look back in history and say this man was the greatest leader of all time. He was greater than any CEO, greater than any leader of any company. And the reason for that is he had to lead a nation of people. But not like, you know, often, forgive me for breaking a sentence, but oftentimes when a, a, a nation installs a new leader, it's the leader that's portable, not the people. The people are static. The leader comes in and leads. In this particular case, God got a leader, and the people became portable. Moses led the Israelites from Egypt into the promised land, which was God's assignment for him. Now, I want you to know, he wasn't just leading a clan. He wasn't just leading a few hundred people. There were about three million of them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine taking three million people, leading them from one nation to to another nation? Phenomenal. You don't make any fast moves with three million people. And yet, he did that over a period of 40 years. Through the power of God, they never missed a meal, even though they were walking around in the desert. They turned into a fighting force. And even though the older generation didn't have what it took, Moses developed and nurtured a whole new generation of people into maturity. And they walked into the promised land and and forever 
things were changed. Moses got them from Egypt to the city limits of Canaan. He was the greatest piece of leadership in world history. But what you might not know about this is that Moses didn't even get started until two-thirds of his life were over. People lived a little longer in those days, and Moses lived for 120 years. Moses' life was chunked into three, into three blocks of time of 40 years. By the time God called Moses, Moses was 80 years old. If we were to scale that to modern lifespan today, we would say that Moses didn't get started until he was 60. How about that? The greatest leader of all time didn't really get started until two-thirds of his life was over. So for those of you who are sitting out there who said, Mark, I've just missed too many buses. I want you to know you haven't. There's still time. Still time. But now here's the thing. Here's the thing that's going to rattle us a little bit. For some of us who think that life has passed us by, it's because we're in a place where we don't feel particularly strong. The irony of that is, is that if that's where you are today, you might be just the person strategically placed. In other words, maybe for the first time in your life, you're strategically placed to really make a difference in the world. Because I honestly believe that all of us have to deal with these first two eras of life that Moses went through before we can really be functional. Let's call the first 40 years of Moses' life the I believe in me generation or the I believe in me era. You know, Terrell Owens, I love me some me. You like hearing him talk like that? Well, that's where Moses was the first 40 years of his life. Let me tell you a little bit about his history. Moses was a Jewish person, but he grew up in Egypt in rather unusual circumstances. If you were here for the Thrive series, you know how that the Jews got into Egypt. Joseph was taken down there. The family proliferated. Hundreds of years passed. And the Israelites were proliferating faster than the Egyptians were. And one day, the Egyptian pharaoh, who now had no memory of Joseph and why those people were there, he looked up and he saw this great nation of people within his own nation. And he said, if we don't stomp these people down, they're going to overtake us. And so he turned all these Jewish people into slaves. And, and then on top of that, you know, he, it, it, even though he was tamping them down, they still proliferated. So Pharaoh decided what he needed to do was to make sure that when any Jewish woman had a boy baby, they just killed the boy baby. They could leave the girls alive for slaves, but they would kill the boys. And he instructed they'd be thrown into the river, to the Nile. <laughs> there was a woman in Egypt named Jochebed, Jewish woman, who was a rather insightful, smart, shrewd woman. She threw her baby in the river, all right. Just put him in a basket first, a watertight basket. Left him floating out there with his kid sister watching him, Miriam. As God would have it, not luck. As God would have it, the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, came down to the water with her, with her, you know, with her entourage. And she heard a baby crying. And ladies, you know how it is. You hear a baby crying, whew, there went the heart. And, and Miriam, you know, Apple didn't fall from a tree. Miriam was really smart like a mom. And Miriam, you know, she didn't miss a beat. Because, I mean, this is a kid. I bet Miriam's six, seven years old. She watched what was going on and, and saw how that the princess's heart was going to her brother. And she wasn't going to sink him and kill him. But she was, like, holding him and cuddling him. And so Miriam went to the, to the princess and, and she said, Would you like for me to find a Jewish woman to take care of this little baby for you? And she said, well, that's a wonderful idea. Moms, you got to love this. This is great still in history. The princess paid Moses' mom to take care of her own son. Wouldn't that be cool? You like take care of your kids and draw a paycheck for it. Moses got a little bit older. The princess adopted him. 
He is now the legal grandson of the Pharaoh. This is the I love me some me era of Moses' life. This is I can do anything. I believe in me. And sure enough, he, he wore the best clothes. He was wearing the Armani suits. He was tooling around Memphis, Egypt in a Ferrari. He was living the high life. He went to the parties. He knew the right people. It was, life was good. It was the best of everything. Best food, best friends, best stuff. Anything he wanted, he could have. He could just put it on Pharaoh's charge card and take it home with him. I can do anything. And funny, when we're young, we sort of think that. At least there's a period of our lives when we say, hey, I, I, I love me some me. I, I, I can do anything. I believe in me. In fact, I hear that. That's probably one of the most nauseous statements that I ever hear. People say, just believe in yourself. That is so ridiculous. I mean, I understand what people are saying. People are saying, hey, take responsibility and, and be the best you can be. When, when they mean that by it, I, I wish they would just say that. But here's the deal. If you believe in yourself, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment and for failure and insecurity because you're going to hit walls. You're going to come to places where you can believe in yourself all day long and it ain't going to change anything because you've reached the outer limits of what you can do. Well, we'll save that for a few moments. Moses is living the good life, you know, years going by. He, everybody's bowing to him. Everybody likes him. Nobody would dare say anything he didn't want to hear because, after all, he was the prince. I started this talk by saying, you haven't started living until you've discovered your eternal purpose. Until you've found a God job, until you're doing something that really impacts eternity, See, here's the thing that gets to many of us because we get the education and we get the job and we know the right people and we start getting the promotions and we got, get the house and then we get the cars and then we get the bigger house and then we get the better cars and we get the better clothes and we take better vacations and after a while we start wondering, is this what life is about? I mean, is life all about getting stuff? Is life all about living in, you know, and, and God bless, I mean, thankful. I wish we all had everything that we could ever want, I guess. But, I mean, you know, is that what life is about? I mean, you, so that you can retire early and move to Florida and go eat dinner at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and then hopefully get into a good nursing home when the end of your life comes? Is that what life is about? See, here's the deal. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you get to the top and you get all the stuff that most people think they want, there is going to be a moment where there's, start going, there's going to be an internal tension between how you're living your life and what you think God might ultimately want you to do. In other words, you're going to want to enjoy the perks of the good life, you know, of I believe in me and I love me some me. You're going to want the, you know, the slick stuff about that. But on the inside, there's going to be something crying out for you that you were made for bigger things. <laughs> and boy, Moses shows us what the tendency is at that moment. Moses decided, hey... I'm going to stay where I am living in the palace and enjoying all the good life and, and, and during the daytime, but I'm going to go out and at night I'm going to do what God wants me to do. That way I can do what God wants me to do on my terms. And from that moment on, Moses turned into Batman. Because he was Bruce Wayne living in stately Wayne Manor, you know. In the daytime, he was at the palace. He was still driving his Ferrari, still prince of Egypt. 
But now at night, he's starting to go out and he puts on his cape and his mask and he's going out to hang with his own people, God's people who are slaves and going through tough times. And Moses has decided what he's going to do is he's going to leave his cushy life in the daytime and he's going to go out and help people. He's going to do God's work on his terms, on his timetable, the way he wants to do it. Boy, when you believe in yourself, you hit the wall. One night Moses goes out, and there's an Egyptian kicking around one of his own people, a Jewish guy. Man, he's got the cape and the mask on, and Moses jumps out of the Batmobile, and he grabs a hold of that Egyptian, and he just kills him on the spot, buries him in the sand. He goes back to Wayne Manor, and he's saying, this is great, man. I love this. I still love me some me, but I'm Batman. I'm going out in the nighttime, and I'm doing God's work. Next night, he gets in a Batmobile. He goes out there, and this time, there are two guys fighting, but it's two Jewish guys. Cape Crusader goes out there, and he stops the fight. You guys don't be doing this. And the Jewish guy says, who died and made you God? You're going to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian last night? Uh-oh. Somebody's looked under the cape and the mask. And Pharaoh found out about it. And from that moment on, Moses just dropped because he is a wanted man. He is wanted, dead or alive. <laughs> and he starts running. Moses is now leaving the city limits of era one of his life. I believe in me. Now for 40 years, I don't believe in me anymore. He not only goes to the desert, the Bible says he goes to the backside of the desert. He's got to get as far away as he can get. I mean, he spent the first, first third of his life a made man. I mean, he had, he had a palace. He had a stable place. He had a palace. Now he doesn't own anything. All he has is a tent, and he has to stay on the run all the time. And for 40 years of his life, this well-educated, sharp, metrosexual is now going to live in the desert, a nobody watching sheep. And by the time that 40 years is finished, here is a man who thinks his life is over. I'm sure he remembers that first stage of his life when, you know, I love me some me. He thinks back on that. And he probably laughs at himself for the way he lived his life and thought, whoa, boy, this really ended well. I'm guessing that by the time that second 40 years is just about finished, Moses was marking time thinking, I probably, I'm, I'm probably not going to live a lot longer. I'm just waiting until I die. <laughs> Doesn't God pick funny times to come along? <laughs> Moses out with the sheep one time in the desert. A little scrubby acacia bush. In Texas we used to call it a skeet bush. Catches on fire. Spontaneous combustion. Ordinary old dry brush out in the middle of the desert catches on fire, should be ashes in just a few seconds. But funny, it just keeps burning and burning and burning. And the, the bush doesn't change. It's in the fire, but it doesn't change. Now, if, if you look in the notes this morning, you see this on your worship card. Moses turns to look at it. And he keeps watching it and waiting for it to burn. And it doesn't. Now, 
influence, Moses and God are going to go into an interaction. They're going to go back and forth about this God job. There are teaching moments that God is going to use to help Moses. I am, I've got about 12 minutes left for this message. I am very concerned about these teaching moments because you and I need these teaching moments. God is going to teach Moses. It's so important to us because I just believe until we find something to do that impacts eternity, we haven't lived yet. Can we take a time out for a moment? I promise I'll get right back in the message. At New Spring, we're experiencing something phenomenal. We've, we've had great growth. The last four weeks, we've been right at or above, well above 4,000 in attendance. We have grown by basically 1,000 a year for the last three years. In 2007, we hit, or we hit 2,000 for the first time. 2008, 3,000 attendance for the first time. Now, at the end of 2009, 4,000. So we're growing by basically 1,000 a year. No church in the history of Wichita has ever grown like this. This is phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. I mean, even those in, uh, us in leadership... We're, we're, we're stepping back from it thinking, this is incredible. And the irony is we have a relatively small staff. I mean, we depend so much on volunteers. It takes us 400 volunteers to pull off a weekend. But because of the growth, we're actually adding a fourth service. Now there are going to be two services on Saturday night. Well, at 5 and 6.30 starts March 13th and 14th. And what's, what's so significant about that is we have, a, we have a saying here at New Spring. It's worship one, serve one. And our goal and our prayer for every New Springer is that when we're here, we'll be here for at least two services each week. And during one of those services, we will worship and enjoy God. And in the second service, we will do, find something to do that's a God job. And guys, let me just tell you something. These jobs at New Spring, they may not seem all that significant. You can say, well, what's so big about this or what's so big about that? I can tell you that every weekend you come in here, many, many people are accepting Christ. They're making a decision to, to invite Christ into their life, and it transforms their eternity. There are other people. God is putting their homes and marriages back together. I meet people that when they first come in here, they're about six inches from taking their life, but they step back from the brink. When you do something here at New Spring, you are impacting eternity. And here's the point that I want to get to. And please grant me just a little bit of latitude here because this may stretch you a little bit. When we ask you to think about volunteering, it can sound like you're doing this for a new spring. And I, and I am grateful, and it, 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 it is true. There's an aspect in which that's true. And as pastor here, it means the world to me when you step up to volunteer. But new springers, <laughs> this is not really something that you're doing for us. This is something we're doing for you. Because we're offering you an opportunity to have a God job. We're offering to you a chance to change eternity. See, see what I'm saying? Our human nature says, oh, the church needs me to volunteer. Absolutely, that's so true. But we need to look at it. Hey, this is an opportunity. I'm being offered a chance to step into a role to do something that's going to transform eternity. And, and if this sounds like an appeal, it is an appeal because we're growing so quickly. When you came in, you got a worship card. On that worship card, you can put your name and information on there. If there's a place that looks like, hey, I think I would enjoy this, you can check the box and say, I'm interested in this, and just give it to us at the end of the service, and I promise you, we will appreciate you, but you will begin to do something big that will transform eternity and maybe in addition to what you're already doing in that regard. Okay, the teaching moments. What was God saying to Moses when the bush didn't burn? This is huge. I wish I knew how to preach. God was saying to Moses, and this is going to really resonate with some of you. Get ready, because for some of you, this is going to be big. 
What God was saying to Moses was, listen, buddy, you spent 40 years burning for yourself. And what happened? You just got consumed. How many of us know what it's like to burn for a job, to burn, and, that, and that's fine, to burn for people, to burn for possessions, to burn for this. And every time we do it, it's like a, a piece of us goes out and another piece goes out. And then we just feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And God was saying, Moses, you've been doing this for 80 years. You've been burning, but you keep losing a chunk of yourself. You haven't tried burning for me yet because if you will burn for me, you will discover that not only will you change the world, but you won't be consumed. This is awesome. I wish I knew how to preach. Boy, with the first part of your life, when it's I love me some me, it's I can do anything. And then we hit the wall. Then when we go to that second stage where it's I don't believe in me anymore, the problem is when God comes along, we start telling God why we can't do what he wants us to do. So God starts offering, Moses starts offering God excuses, more teaching moments to come. You ready for this? Moses says, God, we got a little problem here. Nobody can say your name. God's name was all consonants. It was holy, unpronounceable. And Moses said, we got a deal breaker here. Now, it wasn't the thing about the name. He just didn't want to do the job, didn't think he was able. I mean, God had said to him, here's, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want, here's, here's your God job, buddy. I want you to go talk to Pharaoh, the king that you're running from, and been running from for 40 years, and I want you to tell him to let his slave labor force leave. Moses doesn't want to do that. And he's saying, God, I'm going to go tell my people that you've sent me, and they're going to say, who was it? What's his name? And, and nobody can say your name, so it's a deal breaker. I'm out. No, I'm not. And it's so interesting. God didn't tell Moses his name. And, and when I was a kid, my I'd hear preachers preach on this, and I wonder exactly what, what, what was this deal about. God said, Moses, go back and tell them, I am has sent you. I am. Now, the Hebrew word for that is hayah. It, it means the, the self-existent one. See, none of us are self-existent. You say, well, I believe in me. You're not self-existent. I mean, who keeps, you, who, keeps your, who keeps you alive? Who keeps you going? Who is the one who keeps you healthy? Who is the one who makes the sun come up in the morning? Who is the one who causes the season so that there's food for you? I mean, none of us is self-existent. But God is. God said, Moses, you go tell them that the one nobody had to wake up because he never sleeps has sent you. You go, tell him, you, you go tell them that the one who never has to be taught anything because he knows everything has sent you. Man, here's the cool thing. Moses is thinking, go tell Pharaoh? Are you kidding me? Some shepherd's going to come from the backside of the desert and tell the most powerful man in the world to let his slave labor force go? I think what Moses is saying is, God, listen now. It's been a long time, but I used to live in the palace, and I know how things work. The protocol there is at the palace, and people just don't walk in and tell Pharaoh he needs to let his slave labor force go. God, you just, have you ever tried to explain something to God that God doesn't know? And this is so cool. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 3. What, this is great to me. What God says to Moses is, look, Moses, I understand. This is beautiful. God said, I know that the man's going to have to have a big push to do this. But Moses, it's going to be my hand. You go back and tell them I am has sent you. Oh, so that's good. I appreciate that. We still have some other things to talk about, though. 
Moses said, God, I, I think we have another deal here. I, I've been a shepherd for a long time, and, and I think if I just walked in and said this off the street, nobody's going to listen to me. People aren't going to, I'm not going to have an impact on anybody. Nobody's going to believe me. And God said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses said, well, I got a, a staff, a rod, shepherd's staff. God said, throw it on the ground. And when he did, it became a cobra. Now, I'm quitting right there. Because there are two kinds of snakes. There are those who will hurt you and those that will make you hurt yourself. And so, I mean, this is really cool. God said, Moses saying, they're not going to believe me. God said, well, what, do this. And, and so Moses sees that snake on the ground and God says, pick it up. Now, this is a teaching moment because what does that snake represent? That snake represents whatever, the, whatever it is that God wants you to do this God size because it's always going to be risky. You know, it's always going to be bigger than you are. It's always going to require what you don't have. And, and, and here's the thing. God was saying to Moses, pick it up. And, and, and when he picked it up, it turned back into a staff again. And this is an important teaching moment because you should never pick up somebody else's cobra. I mean, there are people sometimes that tell me what their, what, their, what their cobra is, and they want me to pick it up. It's like, God has let me do this. You should do this too. One thing I've learned, don't pick up anybody else's cobra. Never pick up a snake God's not told you to pick up. Because he'll bite you. But if you pick up the job that God has for you to do, it'll turn back into a staff again. Notice this. God said, pick it up by the tail. Now, unless God tells you to pick up a cobra by the tail, isn't a good idea because the business end is still free to move. Why did God say pick it up by the tail? Anytime you pick up a God ministry, you always pick it up by the tail. If you pick it up by the head, people give you the credit. You pick it up by the tail, people give God the credit. I've told you this. I'm sorry for kidding you so much about this, but I always tell Mary Alice when I die, I want you to put on my tombstone. Once again, he's in over his head. Because <laughs> it's always been bigger than me. But I discovered if you pick up the cobra by the tail when God tells you to, it'll turn back into a, to a rod again, and God will take care of things. So God said, just go show people that. They'll believe you. And Moses is saying, well, that's really nice. And I got this name thing down okay, and got the, got the snake deal. That's really cool, God. But God, we got another problem here. I don't talk very well. You know, you want me to go back and make some speeches? I, I, I just freeze in front of people, and, and I'm, not good on, I'm not good on stage. I mean, back in the I Love Me Some Me era, I was real good at this. I used to make a lot of talks, but I've been out here with the sheep in the desert for 40 years, and I kind of lost my public speaking ability, and God, I just don't do this very well. And God said, Moses, who made your mouth? I'm talking to some of you. He said, Mark, I mean, Work with kids? I don't know. They scare me. Mark, you know, volunteer. I, I just don't know. Hey, who made you? you know what God was saying to Moses? Listen, look, buddy, don't talk to me about mouse and speaking and all that. I made you. If I want to make you talk, I can make you talk. So don't worry about that. I got to hustle here and get to the fourth thing because at that point, Moses is saying, okay, got this down now. Okay, I know your name. I am the snake deal. Really cool. And then... This deal here about, you made my mouth. All right, I, I give you that. God, listen. Even with all the stuff you've shown me, I really think you just should send somebody else. At that moment, 
God got mad. You remember I told you today when you came in, if you're not dead, you're not done. You still have time. You still have time to get into a God job. Basically, here's what God inferred to Moses. Look here, buddy. You don't do this job. I'm going to take your time away from you. Moses said, okay, I'm, I'm looking at this different now. And God said, oh, by the way, if, if you can't talk well, I'll have Aaron come in. He can talk for you. And, and that's the thing, because some of us are saying, well, God, what you want me to do is too big. If it really gets too big, God will bring somebody else in to help you. But the irony is you can see a lot of speeches that were made during that time, and it doesn't seem that Aaron made the speeches. Moses did a lot of talking for God, and I'm telling you, this is how I think it went down. I think the first time he had to make a talk, Aaron stood up and said, what Moses is trying to say, and Moses said, excuse me, Aaron, I'll take care, take care of this. See, when you and I quit giving God excuses and we step up and we do our God job, amazing things happen. So what are you going to do? (laughs) It's interesting. At the end of his life, God got ready to take Moses to heaven. And the Bible makes this point that his eyesight hadn't faded and his strength had not changed. Forty years of doing the greatest piece of leadership in the world. And just like that bush, Moses had burned, but he was not consumed. I hadn't planned to say this. I was sitting over there with Mary Alice thinking about this before I walked on stage. I wonder what Moses would say to you today because he's, he's, he's alive. We know that. Because over a thousand years later, Jesus was on the earth and he took his disciples, Peter and James and John, up on a mountain. And while they were there, Moses and Elijah showed up. And they were rapping with Jesus about what was going on on the earth. They were just catching up with him. They were, they were, I mean, they'd been up in heaven and Jesus was on the earth and they were really interested. They, they were talking about what was going on. So Moses is interested in what's going on at New Spring, I'm sure. And for some of you that are Maybe I love me some me, or maybe you're and I don't believe in me anymore. Maybe, maybe Moses would say to you today, get it on. And for those of you who are already doing God jobs, he'd say, keep it going, rock on. Because when you get to that third stage of your life, it's no longer I believe in me. It's no longer I don't believe in me anymore. It's I believe in what God can do through me. Because the Bible says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. And Philippians 1.6, didn't have time to get to it, it's in your notes. Philippians 1.6, God says that he who's begun a good work in you will not stop it until Jesus comes back. There's still time. Still time. Get it on. Find out what God wants you to do. Don't settle. Don't settle for just living the way everybody else lives. If you're a God follower, get it on. Start doing something that impacts eternity. You'll burn, but you won't be consumed. Because God can do awesome things through you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message today that you've given me. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me for one more moment? I talked about what God can do through you, but God can't do anything through you till he's in you. And he wants to be in you. He wants to be in your life. He wants to be your Savior and your Lord. And God doesn't come in as a mean taskmaster. He comes in as a loving father. He doesn't come in to judge you for your sins. He comes in to forgive you of your sins. He doesn't come in to destroy you. He comes in to build you. 
He doesn't come in to hurt you. He comes in to heal you. Our sins are in the way. There's no doubt about that. But God made a way for us to get those sins out of the way. And his way was to send his own son into the world, put him on a Roman cross. And for six hours, Jesus hung on that cross, suffering excruciating torture and pain. And when he said it's finished, what he meant was paying for your sin was finished. And anybody who wants to have their sins forgiven can have them washed away by, the, by what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you'll invite him into your life, he will transform you and make you God's child. And you'll have God in you. It's a free gift. doesn't cost anything. All you have to do is ask for it. A weekend doesn't go by, I don't think, at New Spring. I don't give you a chance to ask to have Jesus come into your life if you've never done that. I'm going to pray with you right now. And, if, and I'll pray this prayer slowly. You don't have to use my words if you don't want to. God's just looking for a yes. But if you'd like to pray and you want to pray with me, I'll pray this prayer slowly so that you can think about it, mean it from your heart. It's the biggest moment in your life. Because if you get God in you, you'll have God through you. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I've sinned. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. Please forgive me and make me God's child. Thank you for the gift. I'll praise you for it forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. You can see a picture of it on the card. It's a little vinyl packet. It's got some DVDs and great stuff to help you follow Jesus. It's free. It won't cost you anything. If you want it, if you just prayed to receive Christ with me, all you need to do is put your name and address on there, check the box. Actually, two ways to get it. If you just check the box, you can drop it in the offering bag in a few moments. I'll mail it to you. If you want it today, all you got to do is take your card back to guest services or New Spring store. That's just out in the lobby right behind the camera operators. Just take it out there and say, hey, I pray with Mark. They won't mess with you, ask you hard questions or anything. They won't stalk you Just or take down your license number. All they want to do is give you the packet. Just say, hey, I pray with Mark. And they'll give it to you, and you take it home with you today. Also, New Springers, or if you're even thinking about being at New Spring, that car gives you an opportunity to start doing something, if you haven't already, start doing something God-sized. And again, we have four services, so I want you to think about that. And if God's speaking to your heart about exploring that possibility, just put your name and address on there, check the box or boxes that you're interested in.